Okay, so we are going to jump into the Word this morning. If you have your Bible, open it up to Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And uh, put your finger in it there so you don't lose your place. Um, what I want to do, in case you have missed some time, I want to catch you up. We are now in the third week uh, of our series talking about the seven churches in Revelation. Somebody say the seven churches in Revelation. Just have to see what I'm dealing with here, if you're awake or if the coffee's still kicking in or whatever. So, and, and, and the deal here is that um, we're doing this right now because of the season we're in as a church. There's kind of a close corresponding to that because as a church, we are in a season where we're kind of trying to find our footing, right? We're trying to discern and determine what the Lord's will for us is. Not just like, oh, should we do this song or that song? Should we have breakfast at this time or that time? But like, hey, what kind of people do you want us to be? What kind of things do you want us to be doing? And in this section of God's word, there's all kinds of stuff that the Lord Jesus says strictly, like specifically to churches about what he expects and hopes that we would be doing and the kind of people that we would be. So this is really good. And uh, I wanna jump right in. We'll read this whole text together to start out. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your phone Bible on you. It says this, to the church in Smyrna. Somebody say Smyrna. And to the church, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and last who died and came back to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. It's encouraging so far, right? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So, we're going to pick our way through that this morning. And uh, we'll start in verse 8. It says, to the angel of the church, okay? You'll remember last week I touched on this very, very briefly, and today I will touch on it very, very briefly. When it says to the angel of the church, the, the nature, identity, uh, purpose of these angels is kind of debated. Some people say these are uh, heavenly beings that are sort of like guardians, guardian angels, if you will, to each church. There are some who think these are more, these are heavenly beings, but they're more like messengers and they show up when God has something to say. Some people still even would say, no, these are human kind of messengers or pastors. Here's what my encouragement is to you. Um, we're not going to get super hung up on it for our intents and purposes. If you want to know more, you can do some research. I would always recommend that. So that's good. What, what I want us to see is regardless of the means by which he's doing it, what I want us to see is Jesus is speaking to his church. That's what's happening. Jesus is speaking to his church, and you and I, spoiler alert, we are part of Jesus' church. That means we ought to be listening, paying attention to what he has to say. We ought to be very interested in what our king has to say to us. Now, he says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, cue the map. I think it's there. There it is. So again, I'm a map guy. This is what you get. You have another five weeks of this, so get used to it. Um, this is, uh, I, before I talk about that, actually, I have a freebie. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but last week we had a map similar to this up, and uh, it's not this exact one, but I had a text after church, and uh, it, was, it said, hey, I saw on the map during the sermon that there's a city in Turkey called Batman, so that's pretty cool. 
That has nothing to do with anything, but I wanted to just, you know, that, let that minister to you. Okay, so uh, this, where the circle is, this is where Smyrna used to be. It's in modern-day Turkey, and it's actually, you can see where the circle is. It's where the, the present-day city of Izmir is. Somebody say Izmir. All right, good. Now, Smyrna was known for a few things. The one thing I want to highlight is that it was the home of a church bishop named Polycarp. He has one of the coolest names I've ever heard, Polycarp. And um, what Polycarp is known for is that he was murdered and martyred for his faith. How many of you, not how you'd like to be known, right? Uh, Polycarp refused to burn incense, history tells us, to the Roman emperor in worship. And they didn't appreciate that very much. So they, they uh, this is a bit graphic, they, they burned him at the stake and they thrust him through with a spear, Okay. Not exactly a, a great ending. What I want you to see is, is in addition to just being graphic, that's persecution. And we're going to talk about persecution today, but I want to just address it uh, right away. We're going to see it some more. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came back to life. Okay, this is particip participatory. Who does that sound like? The one who died and came back to life. That was very good. You guys are awesome. Okay. Yes, this is Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the one who was and is and is to come, right? The first and the last. Jesus gave his life on a cross to save us from our sins. That is very important context for this. And, and, and Jesus died in our place, but he came back to life, okay? He rose from the grave, you guys know this, and he secured salvation for us. And then he ascended into heaven, where he is right now today, listening in live, if you will, and he's ruling and reigning as the king of all kings. And Jesus is coming back again to bring this age to a close and to, to fully usher in, right, the fullness of the kingdom of God, of which he is the ruler, okay? In other words, this is big Jesus talking, Remember we talked about him a couple weeks ago. Big Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus talking. And again, I just implore you, we need to make sure we're listening when he speaks. So listening ears on, listening hearts open as we see what he says. In verse 9 is where he starts. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. So first of all, I would point out, he says, I know. I see it. I'm aware of it. Jesus sees, knows, and loves his church. Jesus sees, knows, and loves the harbor. This includes us, right? And something that, that again, we're going to talk about is, is the persecution that's going on in Smyrna. And in case that word is somewhat unfamiliar to you, persecution is when essentially the church gets singled out, um, attacked, slandered, uh, life is made difficult for the people in the church. That can look like a whole host of things, but that all falls under the umbrella of persecution. And it's not exactly a pleasant topic sometimes, but uh, we need to talk about it. So here's some context for you. Back in those days, this was written in the first century AD, back in those days, Smyrna, and actually most of the rest of the known world at the time, it was under Roman rule. And the Romans, as a general rule, they were uh, kind of a godless pagan society, okay? They did not know or fear God. And um, they had other gods. Uh, sometimes, like we said, acknowledged already, they would worship their own emperor as God. So what happens is Christianity starts springing up. And now you've got people who are worshiping this guy Jesus as God. 
and that means they're not worshiping the emperor as God, okay? They didn't really like that. And, and that's just one avenue from which persecution would come. And the result, like it says in verse 9, it says tribulation and poverty. That's what the, that's what the church in Smyrna was enduring. Now, I want you to see this. I want to just make it clear. Their tribulation, their poverty, their persecution, it was not because they lived in the wrong neighborhood of Smyrna, okay? They moved into the wrong zip code. Um, it's not because, right, they weren't in poverty because, uh, I don't know, they bet on the wrong horse at the racetrack and the horse fell and didn't win the race and they went broke, okay? These guys were having poverty and tribulation and persecution because of their faith in Christ, okay? That's key to acknowledge and key to remember. Jesus continues in brackets. He says, but you are rich. So we just acknowledged they're in poverty, but they're rich. We got some of this, we got some of that, right? What do we do with that? Here's what I would say to you. If you are in Christ, you are very, very rich. And somebody says, well, I don't know, Braden. I think I'm in Christ. You haven't seen my bank account, right? And this is like, uh, you know how that is in the comic books when they like get their wallet out and they open it up and the fly comes out? Like that's you, right? Um, this isn't talking about monetary riches, okay? There's, there's sort of a false gospel out there, if you will, that would say, hey, when you become a Christian, you follow Jesus, you get rich quick and you never get sick. Okay, that is incorrect, right? That's, that's just not the truth. So the riches that he's talking about must be something else. And, and what I want you to know is when you belong to Jesus, just by default, like as soon as you come through the door, if you will, into Christ, you receive much in the way of riches. And I have a list that isn't even exhaustive, but it's awesome, and I'm going to read it to you. When we belong to Jesus, we have treasure that is in heaven. And this treasure is not like something that just can be stolen or the vault broken into and it goes missing. Treasure in heaven that's secure. We have eternal life. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have hope that can't be taken away. We have access to, it says in John 10, 10, abundant life, life to the full that Jesus uh, wants to bring to us. We have freedom from our sins. We have liberation from our past. Somebody says, that's good news. That would, be, that would include me. Uh, we, have, we have optimism for our future. We have meaning and purpose in this life, in the present. We are never alone, right? God is always with us. His presence is always with us. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, the church. We are very, very rich if we are in Christ. And you need to see that today. Somebody needs to hear that. Very rich. But here's the thing. I wonder, right, how often do we consider these to be riches or even think about them in general, right? Especially when we come into a situation where there's difficulty, there's struggle, there's a mountain in front of us, right? That becomes all we kind of focus on and we say, we start to lament and complain and say, Lord, I don't have enough. This is all wrong. What's going on? And, and, and I'm just saying that if we do that, if we focus in that way, we miss out on what the Lord wants for us. We're going to talk more about that later. But I just want you to know, if you are in Christ, you are rich. You are rich in this moment. You have access to abundant riches. Jesus continues, he says, and I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews. Okay, so here's some more persecution these guys are facing. We talked about the Romans. Now it talks about slander from the Jews. 
We read in other places in Scripture, you'll remember this, it's oftentimes the Jews, particularly the Jewish leaders, who give some opposition to Christians. It can be pretty fierce at times. Um, they certainly didn't like Jesus, right? You, you'd remember that it was at the hands of the Jewish leaders that Jesus was challenged and resisted, right? And, and arrested and mocked and handed over to be crucified, okay? Then you've got a guy like Paul, for instance. Paul, he had a Jewish kind of entourage, but not really the kind that you dream of having, right? Paul would go from town to town, and he'd preach the gospel. He'd tell people about Jesus. He'd plant churches, kind of get that going. And um, there were Jews that would follow him around. And it wasn't like the good kind of entourage that... Uh, you know, supports you and buys your merchandise and cheers for you. It's the kind that, hey, every town you go in, we're going to try to kill you and silence you. And Paul would get beat up and thrown out of the city, and he'd go to another city, and they'd come after him again. So there was persecution there. And, and I, I just want to point out the, the whole persecution from the Jews thing is kind of ironic because they thought they were doing God's work. Because in the eyes of the Jewish leaders, okay, they're, they're trying to be very devout and protect their faith. And now there's these people going around claiming that Jesus is God. And that couldn't possibly be true. So we need to silence these people and punish them. They're trying to be very pious. And here's what else I would say, just from some more historical context. Um, the, the, the persecution at the hands of the Jews made persecution from the Romans kind of more prevalent. Because... History tells us that at first, Christianity was sort of viewed as a sect, like a branch off of, of uh, Judaism. And, and Jews were protected. Uh, they didn't have to do emperor worship. They, were, they weren't like the state religion, but they were recognized by the Romans. They, the Romans essentially said, yeah, you go worship your own God, do what you need to do, kind of to a point. And the Christians were sort of under that umbrella. But as the persecution kind of grew and as the distinction between Jews and Christians kind of got wider and wider, well, now all of a sudden Christians are not under the umbrella of the Jews anymore and they're kind of out in the rain, exposed, so to speak. Now, Jesus continues, he says, those who are Jews and are not... Now, just for clarity, this whole rant I'm going on, this is not like some anti-Jewish thing at all. Um, the, 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 the criticism, if you will, that Jesus is offering, it's not to all Jews, it's particularly to those who um, are not seeking and serving and don't truly belong to God. So I'll explain. The, the problem with some of the Jewish people, again, it's the leaders that are especially pronounced, um, the problem with some of them at this, in this era was that they relied super heavily on their ancestry, on their tradition, right, for their status as God's people. That's what they would rely on. What they didn't have was faith in God, okay? And they would say, well, you know, we have the law, we have the promises, we have the circumcision, we're part of Abraham's family line, so we're good, Right? And it is true, they did have all that stuff, but what they lacked is faith. And faith is literally the key ingredient. Okay? It doesn't work without it. Okay? We read in a place, it's in Hebrews, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Not it's more difficult to please Him. Not it's, it's the less desirable way. No, without faith it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to be with God. It's impossible to have access to God except through faith. 
And I would say to us, we are in the same boat. We are never to rely on anything but Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ for our status or our salvation. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It doesn't work from anywhere else. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how much money you have, what church you go to, how often you go there. If you help out at breakfast, wink, wink beforehand, just a little plug there. Um, none of that stuff, none of the, right, the, the background you have, right, your family of origin, none of that will amount to anything. None of that will amount to your salvation. It's all about having faith in Christ. So the Jews that are mentioned here, when it says they're not true Jews, they're not true people of God. They're not, tr they're not people who have faith in him, who belong to him, who even maybe uh, um, do the works that God wants them to do. Um, these are not people whose, whose hearts are overflowing with love and, and, and tenderness for God. But, Jesus says, they are a synagogue of Satan. That just sounds like kind of a good burn. I don't know. Anyway, when you hear the word synagogue, uh, in case that word is unfamiliar, that is a reference to, that's where uh, Jewish people would go for worship and teaching uh, if they weren't like by the temple. Um, if you were in a small town, you generally would go to the synagogue. And um, it's not quite the same, but you can almost sort of equate that to like how you and I go to church. Sort of. It's kind of a little bit the same. Um, a synagogue of Satan, that's like, oh, that's like kind of intense. Basically what Jesus is saying, these people think that they're on God's side and doing God's work, but they're actually on team Satan, okay? They got the wrong jersey on. And this is kind of a scary thing, to be honest, because it's not even, I was thinking about this this week, it's not even that these guys were just willfully going against God, just like intentionally saying, we're not interested and we're gonna you know, persecute people who belong to God. Like I wouldn't recommend willfully going against God, but like this is kind of even more scary because they thought, they thought they did belong. They thought they were on God's side. They thought they were doing God's work and they were not. They were completely deceived, right? They've completely missed the boat. They're not good, but evil. And, and, and I'll say again, none of us at any point in our lives can ever afford to just assume that we're right with God. I'll, I'll clarify. If you're a Christian, you're right with God today. But I'm saying we can never just assume. Like, like think before you get saved, for instance. You don't just like wander into it. You don't just stumble into it accidentally. Like, like the only thing we're made, again, right with God by is faith in Christ. And how many times, how many times you guys have heard this, I've heard this, You'll be talking to people who aren't Christians and they'll say, uh, you know, me and the big guy upstairs, anytime a sentence starts with that, it's not going well. Like it's not gonna go in a good direction and it never does. Me and the big guy upstairs, you know, we got our own thing going. I'm sure you do. Uh, me and the big guy, you know, we have an arrangement. He lets me kind of do what I want and he sort of just turns a blind eye and doesn't watch me. Yeah, that's probably how it works. That's probably what's going on. And um, um, again, like we can't just assume, right? That's what I'm trying to say. It, it requires a willful decision on our part. Like Jesus has done the work. He's done all the heavy lifting, to be clear. But it still requires us to make an intentional decision to accept Jesus and to follow him and to love and serve him, okay? We don't assume that we're in the right. Now, 
we'll move on. Verse 10, Jesus says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. If I was in the church in Smyrna, I don't know that that's exactly what I would want to hear, amen? I, like the first part is okay, do not fear. Okay, like I can get on that, that's pretty good. What you are about to suffer. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Thought we were already suffering. And there's more, okay? But here's what I want to point out. In a situation like that, okay, do not fear what you are about to suffer. You don't have to answer this out loud, but, but do you know who's able in that situation to say do not fear, like when something bad is like right on the horizon coming in? It's the one who's in control. Through the persecution, through the hard times that the church at Smyrna was enduring, Jesus was in control the whole time. And in this case, what we're going to see in a second is, is we get a strong hint that God isn't causing these things to happen to them. It's coming from a different source. But he is still sovereign over those events. There's nothing that happens that God says, oh, I didn't account for that. Oh, I don't know if I can fix that. Oh, I think that's just out of my grasp. There is no such thing. God is sovereign. God is stronger and sovereign over the powers that would seek to harm the church. That should be comforting to us as part of the church. Behold, he says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So there's a glimpse right there at where the persecution is coming from, okay? Though it was at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, Satan is likely behind it, okay? And what you need to remember is that Satan actively works against God Satan actively works against God's people. That would include, right? Now, one aspect, again, of the persecution they're going to face, it gives you a hint, they're going to be thrown in prison wrongfully. How many of you would not like that to happen to you? Right? He says that they're going to get thrown into prison, that you may be tested. Okay? We've talked about this before. As Christians, true or false, we come into periods, seasons, times of testing. That was true for three of you. Is it true for the rest of you? Okay. As Christians, we come into testing. Sometimes we come into testing, at least this is my experience, sometimes it's because I did something dumb and now I have to face the consequences. Sometimes that happens. However, sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you maybe didn't do anything wrong and you still come into testing. And, and sometimes... God is the one who tests us. Sometimes God merely just allows the testing to happen to us. And what happens a lot of the time, unfortunately, is that when we're being tested, we get all upset. Well, which is kind of natural. And we, we get angry at God and we say, God, how could you do this to me? Well, he might not have. How could you, how could this, you know, what did I do to deserve this? What's wrong with this? And we get upset at God and we sometimes walk away from God in those times of testing. What we ought to be doing is saying, wow, okay, God, this is crazy, but I'm coming straight to you. God, what, what do you have for me in this situation? How can I learn from this? How can I grow in this? How can I glorify you in this situation? And I know that's easier said than done, but that's the response that the Lord would have us have. We're gonna talk about that some more too. You will be tested, and for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Now, we don't know 
if this is a literal 10 days or a figurative 10 days. There are some that say it's literal, some say it's figurative. Either way, the implication is that it's going to be a short period of testing, but probably quite intense. Because the next verse says, well, the next part says, be faithful unto death. Okay, this could mean that during this intense, short persecution, some of them are going to be put to death. It's that intense. It's that severe. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is talking about the reward of eternal life with Jesus, okay? And here's what I would submit to us. Whether or not you ever come into persecution in your life, the mandate is still the same for us. Be faithful unto death. You and I have the mandate to be faithful to the Lord Jesus all the days of our life, no matter what, until the day we go to be home with him. Be faithful unto death. The last verse is verse 11. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This, this is an often repeated phrase in this part of the Bible, and it's, it's there for a reason. The reason is because sometimes we can hear or see the word or take the word in and go, yep, cool, and just keep doing our thing, go on our merry way. No, we're supposed to hear the word and do something with it. So, so are we listening today? Are our hearts and our ears and our minds open to what the Lord is saying? We should be routinely, regularly, continually examining ourselves in light of who Jesus is and what his word says. That's an ongoing thing as Christians. He says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Okay? The one who conquers is the one who remains faithful to Jesus. It's the one that has ultimate victory in Jesus. It's the one who listens to his words and obeys them. It's the one who continues to trust and follow and love and serve Jesus faithfully throughout their life. That's the one who conquers. And when it talks about the second death, that refers to what's going to happen around the time when Jesus comes back again. Um, we likely we'll all experience the first death. Unless the Lord comes before that, right? All who have come and gone before us, they have experienced the first death. The Bible teaches us that some will die a second time, okay? This is like kind of the not super pleasant part to talk about, but it's right here. Um, when Jesus comes back, right, it, 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 the Bible says that God is going to judge the living and the dead, and those who are faithful to Jesus, who belong to Jesus, who worship Jesus, they will go to be with him for eternity. How many of you, that's good news? Yeah, that's very good news. Those who are not faithful to Jesus, who don't belong to Jesus, who don't love and serve and worship Jesus, they will not go to be with him. They will be cast out. The Bible talks about the lake of fire, okay? This is hell. This is a real place. This is eternal condemnation and punishment. And I think most of you guys here are Christians, but I'll say for the sake of if you're not, or if you're listening to this somewhere else, uh, if you're not a Christian, if you don't belong to Jesus, the track that you are on and your train is barreling toward is the latter one. It's the second death. Now you can change tracks by faith in Christ. He redirects you. He puts you on a different one, and you don't have to go through that. Like I said... As Christians, we don't experience the second death. We're not hurt by the second death. We go straight to be with Jesus, and that's awesome. And we, what a day it will be. Now, that's our text for this morning. It's a little different, but 
It's there, and there's some good things in here for us. And what I want to point out is that the whole thing really is a commendation to this church in Smyrna. Uh, this is one of the few churches that Jesus has nothing bad to say about. There are some doozies coming up in the coming weeks. Just saying. Just saying. Um, the commendation here is that, hey, these guys were being faithful to the Lord in spite of the hard times they were going through. And Jesus is encouraging them to stay in that and keep on in faithfulness. There are no rebu rebukes to the church in Smyrna. What I want to do is I've got a few minutes left and I want to talk about us. Somebody says, oh no, <laughs> not us. No, I want to talk about us. I want to talk about the Harbor Christian Church in the year 2020. What's in this for us? What does God say to us in this? And I have five things to tell you about. Uh, we've been floating around many of them, if not all of them already, but I want to just kind of hammer them home for us. The first one, like you see on the screen, is this. Be prepared for persecution. We quite literally live in a very uh, uh, blessed and fortunate place in the world that um, you guys probably watch the news and you'll see every once in a while. There are places in the world that Christians are literally getting killed for their faith. That happens, like in today's day and age, that happens. And it doesn't tend to happen over here, therefore we are blessed. Um, but we need to still be prepared for persecution. Remember, it doesn't, it doesn't always look like getting killed for your faith. The reason we need to be prepared for persecution is because we have an enemy his name is Satan. He is against the church. He is against God. And he really doesn't like it when things are going well. And what I would say about us as the harbor, we've identified kind of a number of times now, you know, this season of ministry we've been in hasn't been like necessarily the most amazing one you'd write home about. But what I need you to know and understand is that your leaders are really investing and pressing in and praying and seeking the Lord and we are, we are seriously doing everything that we can do to sort of right the ship, if you will. And I don't mean like things are so terrible and oh my word, it's time to jump overboard. Not what I mean. But what I mean is we have some things we need to grow in. We have some things we need to get better in. And that is exactly where we are setting our sights in this season. We are, like I said, we, we are desiring to get better in a number of areas. We want to get more serious about our faith. We want to get more effective at ministry. We want to do a better job of uh, helping grow one another as disciples. We want to get more serious about sharing the gospel with people who don't know the Lord and, and a whole host of other areas. And we are really praying that the Lord does that work in us. We can't just snap our fingers and make it happen. This is a move of God that we need. But we are praying for it and trusting for it. Sidebar, pray for your leaders. We need it. Thank you. When God, and I'm saying when and not if because I'm trusting that he's going to do it. Um, when God does this work in us and as he does this work in us, it's in a lot of ways going to be really awesome. It's going to be really good. But Satan will push back. Satan, like if we, when we, caught myself, start to kind of improve and, 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 and start moving forward as a church, Satan isn't going to go, oh, well, I lost them. That's too bad. And give up, right? It's not how it works. Satan is going to then try harder to bring us down. He doesn't want the church to succeed. And um, just for the record, we're not scared of him. Like we're not shying away from the task just because he might show up. Um, 
Jesus is greater, Jesus is stronger, Jesus is king, we have nothing to fear, so we're pressing on anyway. But I'm just saying one of the ways that he might push back is through persecution. And again, like I said earlier, at present, we're not facing in Canada the extreme, like life-taking persecution like some of our brothers and sisters are in other places. But there is still persecution here. It does happen. Maybe some of you guys have experienced it. Like, uh, you know, when your faith becomes known, for some of you, maybe it's made your life more difficult. It's, it's, it's led to uh, trouble, like social exclusion, for instance. That's the thing that happens. You're a Christian? See you later. You know what I mean? Maybe it's led to bullying or harassment or, or, or mockery or slander of you. Maybe it's led to trouble in the workplace, right? There are people who, like, lose a promotion, for instance, because, well, they're a church person. See you later. And I'm, again, this isn't getting murdered, but it's still persecution. And unfortunately, things are probably likely to get worse before they get better, if you will. If you like read the rest of the book of Revelation, that gives you kind of a hint about how things are going to go down, right? But again, I, I'm, not, I'm not standing here saying, here's how it's going to go. I'm not telling the future. I don't know. But I'm just saying you need to be prepared because what will happen, what will happen if all of a sudden persecution broke out in our city? What would happen if all of a sudden it was illegal for us to be doing this right now and meeting together? That breakfast, you might get arrested. Like, like this could happen. I'm just saying. What, what will you do on the day that you run into severe hardship? only because you're Christian? What will you do on the day when your troubles are mounting up so high that you say, man, this following Jesus stuff, I don't even know if it's worth it anymore because of all the trouble it's causing me. I'm not saying any of this to freak you out. I'm not saying any of this to scare you uh, because like the church at Smyrna, we have nothing to be afraid of. Again, because Jesus is Lord. I'm just saying we need to be ready. You guys tracking? Be ready for persecution. The second one is this. It'll get a little less bleak here, I promise. The second one is this. Live out of the riches that you have in Christ. Okay? We talked about that list earlier, that non-exhaustive list, the joy and the peace and the eternal life and the Holy Spirit, all those things that we have in Christ. Just as Jesus reminds the church at Smyrna that they are rich, so too does he remind you and I that we are rich in Christ. And we have a choice to make because we can choose to live out of that, those riches or not, okay? We can choose to, in a negative way, lament and complain that, you know, we're lacking, we don't have enough, things are difficult, or we can purpose with the Lord to, to live life to the fullest out of the storehouses of blessing that he gives us. And for the record, excuse me, I know some of you guys struggle, for instance, financially. I, I know, and I'm not trying to scorn that or do anything bad about that. Um, and again, it's not all about the finances, but I'm just saying my whole point is this. If you spend your days lamenting and complaining and stewing over what you don't have, you're gonna overlook what you do have. That's what I'm saying. You, you're gonna overlook the riches that Jesus has for you right now. It's not like, oh, if you try harder, you know, a year from now, if you've grown, you'll have them. If you're a Christian, you have access to them today, right now. Live, I mean, that's a whole other sermon for another time, but live out of the riches you have in Christ. 
Number three is this. Do not fear. Somebody say that. Make sure you're still with me. All right. Jesus said back in verse 10, remember he told them, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Um, Again, this is another one. This is a whole other sermon unto itself. But the Bible tells us all kinds of times. How many times? (laughs) I couldn't resist. (laughs) The The Bible tells us all kinds of times. Don't fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Some people estimate that there's about 365 occurrences of that in the Bible. One for every year or every day of the year. Um, other estimates are a little more conservative. They say there's actually only about 70 instances of that in the Bible. That's still 70 times that we're told not to be afraid, even if we err on the conservative side. That should be, that should be, plenty, uh, that should be plenty of notice for us. Just saying. I didn't even catch on to stuff very quick, and Lori doesn't have to tell me 70 times to do something. About 65, but anyway, sorry, we'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. That's all right. Um, Yet, yet, so many people in the world and in the church live in fear constantly. It's crippling. And whatever it is, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of death, fear of rejection, loneliness, whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's just a general anxiety, right? And you guys know what I'm talking about. It sweeps over you and it just takes over and seemingly comes out of nowhere. I, I seriously don't mean to patronize you by giving you a super short answer because this is a, it's a large topic. But God himself is the answer to our fear. God himself. Th- there's a wonderful, wonderful verse. You guys should read this and learn it and remember it. It's Isaiah 41.10. This is, this is just seriously a great life verse to know. Isaiah 41.10 says, this is God talking. He says, fear not. Like, that's pretty clear, right? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In other words, because of God's abiding presence with us at all times, that is the reason we don't have to fear. If, like, what can possibly overcome us if God is right next to us? If God is for us, who or what can be against us? And I'm saying, whether it's persecution like the church in Smyrna, or it's some other difficulty, sickness, or, or finances, or relationship trouble, or, I don't know, like a natural disaster, a typhoon completely goes off course and blows right over your house, okay? God is with you if you're a Christian. God is always with you if you are a Christian. God is in control. God is on his throne. He is sovereign and above and over everything that life could possibly throw at you. Yes, even your circumstance. And I'm saying, instead of us living in fear of the things that we can't control, let us as the church, let us purpose to walk and live in confidence, knowing, listen, that we are covered by the one who is in control. Yes, Lord. Now, do not fear. We should have a sermon on that sometime. (laughs) Number four is this. Testing is good for us. We've talked about this before. If you remember, we read the book of James a few months ago. And in James 1, 3, it says, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing. In other words, we'll make it simple, testing is good for you. And, and, and like we acknowledged, we all go through periods of testing. And sometimes it's God who tests us, sometimes it comes from other places. Maybe it's Satan testing you, and God is allowing it. Regardless of the origin of the testing, it is good for you. Regardless of the origin of the testing or even the nature of your testing, it helps us develop spiritual muscle. It helps us grow into the people that God wants us to be. I would submit to you that without struggle and without some trial and testing, it'd be pretty difficult for us to, to grow in Christ in some ways. It's good for us. And let's, let's just call a spade a spade here, okay? Some of you guys right now are in a time of testing. Maybe it's, again, financial. Maybe it's career-related. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's relational troubles, right? Your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your neighbors or your crazy pastor, okay? Some of you are in trial and testing right now. My encouragement to you, don't give up and get angry at God in your testing, but seek him in your testing. Seek how God might be trying to grow and stretch you. Seek what God might be trying to teach you. Seek how you can glorify him in your testing. Seek what kind of response is honoring to God. Seek, and this is beautiful, this is wonderful. Seek how the Lord and trust in the Lord Seek how he's going to turn your situation and cause something good to come out of it. How many know that's true? Romans 8, 28, right? God causes all things, including your trial and your testing, to work for good. It may not be good right now, but he will make something good come out of it. That's promised to us in Scripture. Testing is good for us. Number five, fifth and final point is this. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Particularly, this applies if you are not a Christian, which I, I know most of you guys are. Um, we talked already about how, um, remember the people who said they were Jews and are not. Uh, we said that we can't just assume we're right with God. We can't take on someone else's faith. We can't just rest on our morals or our accomplishments or our origins or whatever. If you don't know Jesus, none of that's going to amount to anything. None of that results in your salvation. None of, you, none of that results in you being right with God. So your first step, if you are not a Christian, is to become one. It's to trust in Jesus for your salvation. It's to accept the free gift of grace that God gives you through the cross. It's to believe that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, and that uh, it's then to purpose yourself to live for him as Lord. And um, once you do this, then you have access to God. Then you have eternal life promised to you. Then you have forgiveness from sins. Then you have a new destiny. Then you have the life that you were created and designed to have, right? Living in relationship with the one who made you. For some of you, this needs to be priority number one. Trust in Jesus and come and talk to me. If that's you, come find me. Interrupt whatever I'm doing, seriously. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up. The band is coming up. And uh, here, here's just what I want to encourage you guys with uh, to close, is this. Obviously, in that text, uh, there is some stuff that's not like the most pleasant or, or comfortable, right? We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to go through testing. We don't want to be slandered. We don't want things to be difficult, right? What, what I want you to see most clearly out of the text that we just read is this. Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is king. Jesus is in control. Jesus is high and exalted. Jesus is in control. And, and, and now as we respond to his word, which we'll do in a few different ways, um, we have an opportunity to align ourselves with him once again. I don't know where you've been at this week. You've had a great week. You've had a bad week. You've been right there with the Lord. You've fallen off the wagon for the Lord. I don't know. But we have a chance right now to realign ourselves with him, to declare our allegiance to him once again. We have a chance to, maybe you're like right in the valley this week and you're in just this dark place or whatever. You have a chance now as we respond to just shout out in the darkness that Jesus is Lord, that our God reigns. You have the opportunity as we take communion together. This is where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for us. When you eat and you drink the emblems, you're declaring that he has died for you. You're declaring that he's risen again and you're professing it and declaring it until he comes again. It's an act of worship. It's an act of warfare against Satan and all his stuff. And, and, and once we're done that, we're gonna lift our voices and sing together. This is just such a good soul exercise to declare praise to our God. That, that, is, that is so more profound than you will ever know. So I want you to lift your voice. I want you to open your mouth and sing. And then when we're done that, we're gonna hang out together. We're gonna fellowship. We're gonna encourage one another. And this is also super good for us. In all of this, again, we have a chance to align ourselves to the Lord Jesus. So don't let this time pass by on autopilot. Press in, engage, seek the Lord, pray. Remember, sing, encourage. Let's worship the Lord.